bringing you the latest research, tools, and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy. It's Talk Healthy Today. Here's Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. It's my favorite time of the week, Foodie Friday. Now, I've been in my kitchen more than ever. I had some time uh, appear and some free time pop up in my life. That's been an absolute gift, and I've decided to spend it cooking. So it was perfect timing to get this unbelievable book that I, I mean, this is a must-have book for everyone. It's called Kitchen Creativity, Unlocking Culinary Genius with Wisdom, Inspiration, and Ideas from the World's Most Creative Chefs. Karen Page joins us now. The photographs are done by Andrin, Andrew excuse me, Dorenberg. Hello, Karen. Hello. How are you, Lisa? Oh, I'm wonderful. How are you doing? Uh, terrific. Uh, especially, uh, you know, in January, you're just trying to recover sometimes from the holidays. And then we actually had friends in from out of town. And so there's all that indulgent eating. And so you wake up on a Monday morning thinking, you know, this is the day that I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to get back on track. And I think that's something that we go through all month long. And then you try to continue into the year to just... um figuring out, you know, what, where are we going to put our priorities and where are we going to put our um, emphasis? And for me, as someone who writes about food, it's always about deliciousness. But as we become more uh, conscious of the fact that what we eat coincides with how we feel, we want to feel better. So we want to eat better. And it's, it's a continuous learning process. Oh, it definitely is. It, and your book has so much to offer. You have stage one mastery, stage two alchemy, stage three creativity. One of, there's so many quotes in the book by so many incredible, incredible chefs. Uh, one of them, uh, I think it was uh, Vitalgo. Is that how you date Joe? Vid- I don't remember how to say his last name. I had it written down. Now I can't find it. But at any rate, he had said something about whether you're making uh, PJ, P, PB&J or mashed potatoes, you, you need to be excited about it. Because if you just think, oh, I'm just making mashed potatoes. Ah, and Michael just Voltaggio, be like, oh. the winner of Top Thank Staff. you. Yes, exactly. I love I that love quote, him. don't you? I can't believe I messed up. Right. Yes, and I can't believe I messed up his name. <laughs> I, I, oh, my gosh. I I learned so many things from Top Chef that I had no idea. Like when they would, when the chefs would be judging and they would say, oh, well, there's not enough acid. And I was like, they said that a lot. I'm like, what does that mean? And you have a mm-hmm. whole thing about what that means and acidity. And yes. there's so many little things that I, I didn't know what a what confit was. I mean, my husband and I would joke like mm-hmm. we could be given three hours and we still wouldn't come up with what these guys come up with. And obviously it's a matter of, you know, they've been educated or whether they educated themselves and having that creativity. Well, and, they read our books. The well, the, that's part of the secret yeah. too, is that a lot of them yeah. are fans of our, <laughs> our previous books, The Flavor Bible or oh. Culinary Artistry. And they really have given credit. Um, winners like Michael Voltaggio, he said his favorite book is Culinary yes. Artistry, which we came out with in oh. 1996. Stephanie Izard, who won Top Chef, also is a huge fan of uh, culinary her. artistry as well. Other of the Top Chef uh, finalists and winners have been even Carla Hall, um, who uh, uh, yes. was who did so well and really created her career that led her to the Chew. Uh, she has listed the Flavor Bible as one of her three favorite books that she cannot live without. So we're we're oh, happy to have helped to be part of the education of a lot of leading chefs and culinarians who realize that the more you know about flavor, the more you can make things taste delicious, even things that are good for you, things like vegetables and fruit. So we're thrilled that we can help people eat better through our books. Well, I need to read that one because I sometimes you make something and you think the flavor is going to be great. And then like I made something the other night, I thought it was going to be really good. And both my husband and daughter like, "Eh, it's okay. And it's like, but I did the onions this way. And I did this, I did the garlic. Like, what did I, did I over 
cook it? Did I did I not caramelize enough? Did I not do this enough? What are some tips when it comes to getting those flavors and what that you want mm. and, and the richness that you exactly. can get and that acid? Well, that <laughs> yes. Well, that's basically the the whole thesis of Kitchen Creativity, which is the latest book, yes. and it's really a follow up to uh, the Flavor Bible in that it's meant to um, help people take their knowledge of flavor and their knowledge of how to make things taste delicious to the next level. And so what we do is we spell out the educational process that anyone who wants to become a more creative cook can follow in order to do so. And it really starts with the basics. As you said, stage one is mastery. How do you master the fundamentals? And what that means is how do you become one of those people, like all the people on Top Chef or Master Chef or one of those shows who can just walk into a kitchen and open the refrigerator door or open the cupboards and see what's in there and just throw them together to come up with something delicious and to know that it's going to taste delicious. And so in the stage one, we really spell out what are those secret books that all of these successful chefs have read that they think really forms the basis of their culinary education, that if you read these 20 books, and you don't have to buy them all at once, but you could you know, set it up as your reading list to really master what the great chefs know, um, that's the kind of thing that will get you started. And definitely the Flavor Bible and Culinary Artistry are two of the 20 books on their list which includes lots of other great books from Julia Child to Escoffier, um, but really get you in the head of a great chef on how they approach any ingredient that they encounter in the kitchen. And it also involves how to shop like a chef and then how to season like a chef because first you have to start out with great ingredients and a lot of the best chefs, are, it's all about quality. How do you judge a great tomato? How do you judge um, a great ingredient no matter what it is? And then it's a matter of how do you make it taste delicious? And you talked about acidity, so you know half the answer right there. Um, it, salt and acid are two of the key um, flavor balances that you really want to learn to master in that stage one mastery process in kitchen creativity in order to make anything taste delicious. So it's really just about enhancing the flavor. Salt will be uh, the primary um, flavor enhancer for any savory ingredient, but then acidity adds that sort of that sparkle, that magic balance of brightness that you'll get in a lot of dishes. And sometimes if that brightness is missing, all it will take is a squeeze of lemon or a drizzle of vinegar to really turn that dish around. So that's really where it all starts. So you, again, you so you start with that. You have to master that. And so that's a great place to start. And I definitely, like you mentioned, the, the flavor Bible, is that what it's called? Because I need to... Uh, yes, need exactly. To okay. And that so leads you right into stage two, oh. alchemy. Yes. And, and what because define that in, for us? Sure. It's really, um, you know, a, a you know, $10 term for really what we mean is the 25 cent idea of converting something common into something precious. So how do you take something simple like a tomato and turn it into something that will really blow your mind and blow the mind of whoever you're cooking it for? And um, luckily, when you're starting with, out with great produce, you know it's healthful. I mean, I love the term that you use of the whole fruititarian because I consider myself very much the same way. You know, if it's a whole fruit or whole vegetable or whole legumes, you know, it's something that I know I'm going to enjoy. It's going to be good for my body, and I'm going to find a way to start there and make it taste delicious and add things to those uh, that wonderful produce to move forward. And so um, with alchemy, it's really understanding the magic that one plus one doesn't just have to equal two. One plus one can equal three if the one and one that you're pairing are tomatoes and basil or mushrooms and mm. Pinot Noir. And that's why we wrote our books, The Flavor Bible and What to Drink with What You Eat, to really help people get into that idea that 
um, what you pair together matters in the kitchen. And sometimes uh, certain ingredients have, uh, as we come closer to Valentine's Day, they have their own true loves. They have their own ingredients that they really come to life in uh, when they're paired up with them. And it brings out the best in both ingredients when they're paired. And so if you can master some of that knowledge, that's the kind of knowledge that um, those contestants on Top Chef and other shows really work, work with flashcards. They work on memorizing the book by reading it late at night and then falling asleep mm-hmm. and letting it seep into their subconscious just so they know those uh, flavor pairings that you know are time-tested and true and really um, work well so well together that when they're in that uh, pressured situation of uh, you know cooking against the clock, they can go to them, just like we remember from our multiplication tables in grade school that, you know, oh, yeah. two times two <laughs> equals four, you know that if you add tarragon and lobster, it's going to be an amazing combination. So that's really what the basis of alchemy is, is mastering those kinds of flavor pairings, flavor affinities, we call them flavor chords in, the, in kitchen creativity, talking about those combinations of flavors that work so well together that they're ubiquitous, whether you serve them as a pizza or as a pasta or as a sandwich um, or as an omelet, those, that combination of mozzarella, tomato, basil is going to be excellent no matter what your flavor platform is. More to come with our guest, Dr. Vidge. But first, I want to talk about something that I love, Liquid IV. Liquid IV fuels tough workouts. It helps prevent cramping and fatigue. It is for the health-conscious everyday athlete. I absolutely love it because there's nothing artificial, is made from clean ingredients. And here is some pretty exciting news. It provides the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water. Yes, two to three bottles of water. So just put this in your water, shake it up or mix it up, drink it. It tastes great. It's great for before and after your workout. It really is a fabulous invention. It also contains five essential vitamins, including more vitamin C than an orange and as much potassium as a banana. So what I want you to do, because I love Liquid IV and I know you will too, if you go to liquid-iv.com, that's liquid-iv.com, you'll get 20% off. Just use the code TALKHEALTHY at checkout. That's right, 20% off anything you order on Liquid IV's website, liquid-iv.com, promo code TALKHEALTHY. Don't wait, get hydrated today. I have to say, I'm so flattered that you mentioned the whole fooditarian. Nobody's ever done that. That's so cool. <laughs> I want to get that trademark because I, I really am a whole fooditarian. Just, and it's not because I shop at Whole Foods, which I do, but it's because like what you mentioned, if it's a whole food, then I'm going to eat it. Talk to us about uh, a little bit more about those pairings. What are some of your favorites and, and how to help like a, you know, a busy parent or, or a busy single person or everyone's busy, just get in the kitchen. They want to make something good. They want to have that, you know, je ne sais quoi. They want that, you know, that, uh, what's that word, that umame kind of situation. Yes. Well, umami is one of those magical uh, uh, tastes that really, when you add it, it adds sort of a a whole other dimension to a dish. So that's why ingredients like miso have become so popular. And it's interesting that in Japan, they actually have as many different kinds of miso as we have cheeses. So when you think about the variety of cheeses, not just the common mozzarella, parmesan, cheddar, and so forth, but really that whole array of dozens of dozens of different kinds of breeze and triple cremes and other cheeses that you'll find in France. In in Japan, they take miso that seriously that you'll find different colors of miso made from different grains, um, fermented grains, and um, they really turn it into an art form. But ingredients like miso or soy sauce, which is also... um, uh, uh, 
uh, glutamate, which uh, means mm. that it's a source of umami that you can throw in. When you add it, it doesn't just add saltiness to a dish. If you're seasoning an Asian dish, it's going to add this other depth of flavor that um, it's really hard to define, which is why we use the Japanese term umami, but it's sort of a savory deliciousness, for lack of a better term. You'll find it in a lot of other fermented ingredients. You'll find it in things like sweet potatoes, which I think are a favorite of yours, I've heard. Um, I do love Tomatoes sweet actually have a lot of natural <laughs> umami in them, as does red wine in particular. So um, it's one of those things that you can throw in to a dish to add nutrition uh, in many cases. Um, you know, uh, in the case of um, walnuts, for example, you're getting additional protein, you're getting healthy fats. Um, in the case of other ingredients like tomatoes, obviously, you can't do better than that. Um, but every different country has different flavor cords. If you think of sour cream, beets, and dill, that'll take you to Russia. If you're thinking of sour exactly. cream and paprika, it will take you to Hungary. Um, if you're t- thinking of something like miso, having mentioned that before, and scallions and tofu, and maybe some uh, seaweed, that'll take you to Japan. And so it's a matter of learning how to combine those creatively. Yeah, I have to say my favorite uh, chords are anything to do with Mexican food. I'm just all about There the you go. Chili, cilantro, it. lime. Oh, Boom, chili, you're cilantro. in Mexico. Yes. <laughs> I love it. You know, speaking of chilies, it's funny. So the other day, I wanted to make chili. You know, my husband makes chili and it's pretty good. Sorry, hon, it's not great. It's okay. I make chili. Yeah, it's okay. So I went online and I Googled like best chili recipes and there's one that really caught my eye. So I'm making it and I have to say it's the best chili I've ever had, but I didn't like she had some ingredients that I was I, like, I tasted it and there was like, oh, now add three cups of um, beef bone broth. Or I thought, no, it's going to the flavor is perfect. Right. The, everything yeah. it's just complements each other. If I do that, I think it's going to be too runny. It's going to water down those flavors. So I didn't do it. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering, well, maybe if I had, would that have brought out another side? I'm guessing it would have. So I think I'm going to make it again and add the bone broth just to see. But have you done that before? I'm guessing we're like, if you taste it and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Why keep going? Or what do you think? Right. No, exactly. I think you have good culinary (laughs) intuition, which is one of the five inner senses that we talk about in kitchen (laughs) creativity. That you really, the very best chefs, it's not just about training their their palate or training their sense of smell um, and their other, you know, senses of sight and touch and sound. But um, it's also a matter of training your inner senses to know in your gut uh, what you're looking to accomplish or what your vision is for a particular dish. And I think you were right on in terms of your instincts that, no, I'm not going to add this ingredient, even though it's called for. I like it the way it is and your intuition that this is the flavor that I'm uh, going to appreciate and my guests are going to appreciate. So um, that's really another part of kitchen creativity is learning to trust yourself, trust your own preferences, trust your own experiences, trust what your body is telling you. And in addition to instinct and intuition, you can learn how to hone your insight, your imagination, your inspiration when you're in the kitchen. And we've got lots of explanatory material on how the very best, most creative chefs will do just that in their kitchens. Not only that, but you have the most incredible photographs. I mentioned Andrew at the beginning. Tell us a little about this. You're working together and these fantastic photographs are just lovely. 
aren't they amazing? He he's really blossoming he is. as a photographer. Mm-hmm. He did the photography for our book, The Vegetarian Flavor Bible, as well. That was his first book that oh. he did the photography for, yes. and I'm thrilled with those photos. We'll have to make sure you get a copy of that as well. But um, Kitchen Creativity, I mean, he's really taking it to a new level. He's got photographs, uh, not just of food, but really of some of the very best, most creative chefs from all around the world. Um, produce, we traveled to uh, some of the best, most creative restaurants across the country and um, have some great shots from the kitchens, uh, from the farmer's markets, from the R&D laboratories where the chefs are doing all of their work, from the dining rooms to see how a lot of times dishes are actually finished in the dining room where the the waiter or waitress will come over with a pitcher of something and really finish the soup at the the table. And that's because for so many years, you know, we had all of these soups sloshing all over those beautiful white bowls and it's just a sloshy mess. But the time it gets to the table. So that's what started the trend of having those beautiful ingredients um, artfully presented in the bowl at your table and having them come and pour it there. But, you know, they're all little touches that add to the aesthetic experience of food, which is something that we can keep in mind whether we're out to dinner or we're serving guests ourselves. How can we make it that much more enticing to our guests and really stimulate all of their senses as they're eating it? So not just getting the right taste, but the right presentation, maybe serving it with uh, the right song uh, that really enhances whatever it is uh, you're serving and really bringing it all together to, you know, we live these stressful lives. And as you well know, 95% of the illness and disease is caused by stress. And so anything we can do to calm down our guests, we can do it through food, we can do it through creating a wonderful environment. And that's all part of kitchen creativity. Oh, it sure is. You know, I'm one of those people where if you ask me like what flavors I I love salty, I don't I always say I don't like bitter, but then I'm looking at this using bitter. And you've got bitter plus fat plus salty basil plus olive oil plus Parmesan cheese, bitter plus fat, salty plus sour salad greens, olive oil, salty cheese, vinegar, bitter fat, salty sweet. And then you go and I think, oh, I like a lot of these things, you know, and so it's that complimentaryness <laughs> of right, because if you just give me like a bitter cup of coffee, I'm like, blah. But right. if you add like what, a, little sweetener, in that? a little cream, a little this, a little that exactly. Well, I don't drink coffee, but maybe I should. But that kind of idea of like, oh, I don't want to eat that. That's bitter. But how do you balance that out? And then what about, what about overcorrecting or undercorrecting? Or what about if you make something and you're like, eh, this needs more acid, but then you put too much acid. Is there a way to say, I'm guessing you can add something else. But then there must be a point where if you do too much, you're just going to be like, okay, <laughs> I'm never going to get it just right. I, I think you did a beautiful job just now of describing that process. Oh, and so in um, Kitchen Creativity, we have a section in the A yeah. to Z section in the back of the book. There's lots of fun uh, information um, that has inspired chefs to think more creatively. And so we talk with Joshua Skeens, who's uh, mm. the chef of one of the 50, world's 50 best restaurants. It's called Saison in San Francisco. And he talks oh, about yeah, the fact that, that. Uh, flavor should always be round. And what he means by that is that if you can taste what he calls a corner, like picture a circle inscribed in a square, if you can taste acidity or if you can taste saltiness and that's a prominent flavor, there's something off because what you should taste is deliciousness and the taste of deliciousness is a rounded flavor. It's a balanced flavor. And so there's a real artfulness that a lot of chefs have when they're seasoning dishes about how do you balance one against the other. And it's really good to think about balancing 
saltiness and acidity against one another. Because if you understand chemistry, not to get too technical, um, the uh, pH balance of a dish um, plays off that acidity and that saltiness, the acidity and alkalinity, um, if you want to think of it that way. So they, they, there are two flavors that can correct. And if you remember that basic science, you'll know that if a dish is too acidic, you can try to balance it by adding a little bit more saltiness and vice versa. If it's a little too salty, try adding that squeeze of uh, lemon or another citrus juice or try adding a dash of vinegar to it because that will balance out the saltiness. It's sort of like if you think about um, how the British eat uh, French fries with vinegar and salt, you know, it's that per- getting that perfect balance. Um, that's something that it really comes into play a lot in kitchen creativity. You know, what also comes into play is how many incredible quotes. It was hard for me to pick. I really love Heston Blumenthal. Uh, To me, food is as much about the moment, the occasion, the location, and the company as it is about the taste. It is the only thing we do that involves all the senses. It has the ability to generate so much emotion and so much memory. It has endless possibilities. It is one of those subjects where the more you learn about it, the more you realize you don't know, which is why everyone should get your book, because I've learned so much from it. (laughs) And chemistry was my worst subject. I mean, I was like a B student, but chemistry was just anything with math. But yet, I'm, I understand what you're talking about. I understand these concepts, and uh, I'm excited right, to, didn't know to you know, dive in my food. kitchen. Yeah, they should have. I mean, that would have made a big difference for lots of us. <laughs> exactly. I think so. Now, you already know so much. Was there anything that you learned from doing these interviews, getting these quotes, anything that really that moved you or made you look at things in a different way? Oh, constantly. It's it's why we keep writing books, because I think just like Heston Blumenthal, the more we learn, the more yeah. we realize we don't know. And life is endlessly unfolding and endlessly fascinating. And so I think a lot of the creativity studies that we learned, as we talked to chefs about their most important creative practices, we also, in turn, looked at uh, experts on creativity and discovered the way that they looked at the creative process. And so one of the things that really struck me, and it's, it's I think, relevant... Um, for a, a, any anybody who cares about their health is the fact that you can't be creative unless you are happy. If you are depressed, you, it, you literally cannot, you know, d- uh, despite any uh, images we have of those tortured artists producing great works of art, it's really in moments of joy and of transcendence that they're able to produce their best, most creative work. So scientifically, happiness is a choice. We can either choose to be upset or we can choose to be happy. And we have these single processor brains that will only let us be one or the other. So if we choose to be happy, that will not only open up our happiness uh, centers in our brain, but it will also open up our creativity, which will, again, feed our happiness and decrease our stress and increase our health. So um, if you want to be more creative, we say you can triple your creativity, uh, according to the Harvard Business Review. Um, Creative employees are on average three times as creative as non-happy employees. So you can triple your creativity through choosing to be happy, and that's great for your health as well. It's so funny because I was about to ask, well, how do you become more creative? What do you say to people who say, oh, I'm not very creative? Oh, well, you know, one, only (laughs) one in four of us think we've achieved our creative potential. So that's 75% of us at least who think that we have a ways to go to become more creative. But because it's the number one trait that most corporate CEOs say is important for success in business, beyond integrity, beyond global thinking, it's really creativity that's really important for us to have for success in life. And it's really a matter of um, understanding creativity. And we, that's why in the 
stage three of kitchen creativity, we have so many practical tips and guidelines on how the very best chefs in the world um, approach the creative process and how they end up uh, working with all their senses. And by that, I mean both the outer senses and the inner senses that I mentioned earlier, um, but also really um, learning to balance, I think, what, what I call stimulation and stillness. You know, you want to be inspired. You want to go out there in the world and do things that you love. Get inspired by, if you're a chef, eating out in other restaurants, traveling, and reading. You want to get all this input, but you also want to balance that with some moments of stillness and take a minute to really process it and let it ferment inside you and see what kind of creative ideas it's going to then generate for you. And that's why many chefs like Eric Repair of Le Bernardin in New York City, again, one of the world's 50 best restaurants, according to Restaurant Magazine's list, he has a dedicated meditation practice where he meditates at least an hour a day. And he finds that that is something that feeds his creativity tremendously um, where he gets some of his best ideas. Chefs like Rick Bayless at Frontera Grill in Chicago, who's got his own PBS show, um, one of the great experts on Mexican cuisine in the world today. Mm. He has a regular yoga practice, and we've got pictures of him doing yoga in Kitchen Creativity and talking about why that's so important for him. It really does make a huge difference. I only have a couple more minutes. I could spend forever with you. You definitely have to come back. I want to get your favorite <laughs> flavor too. Bible. We could just keep, we could just, oh, good, good. We could just keep chatting. What's, what's one of your go-to meals? Like you have a busy week. What's something you like to put together? Or do you have a go-to um, meal, I should say? <laughs> no, I, I guess what came to mind when you asked the question, and I think it changes from week to week because we all have jags. I mean, I've once said that in sure. a past life, I must have been Indian because I could eat yellow dal and brown rice forever. Me My too. husband cooks it so wonderfully. <laughs> You'd think that he was Indian in a past life. Um, he adds, you know, wonderful spinach and mushrooms and, you know, it's fantastic. But what came to mind for me even before that was... Um, was ramen. Sun Noodles makes these wonderful noodles that cook up in two minutes and 15 seconds. Don't cook them for two and a half because they'll be too soggy. Don't cook them for two because they won't be done enough. It's two minutes and 15 seconds. And you um, add some miso, you add some chopped scallion, maybe a few cubes of tofu, and that's it. It's simple. It's wonderful. You can, you know, if you want to add greens, you can add bok choy or spinach. It's helpful. It's delicious. You've got the umami from the miso, um, that chewiness from those perfect noodles, two minutes and 15 seconds, mm. um, and it's ready, you know, in five minutes. So that's that's really a go-to when we need a, a fast food. We think of ramen as opposed to uh, uh, grabbing something at a at a restaurant. Oh, good. Well, I have to say, I'm so glad I have one serving left of that chili in the fridge because I want a delicious lunch. That's all right. I've got to heat it up. So <laughs> after talking with you, my mouth <laughs> is watering big time. Kitchen Creativity is a book unlocking culinary genius, the wisdom, inspiration and ideas from the world's most creative chefs. This is a must have. Move over the joy of cooking. There's somewhere in our cupboard. My husband uses it. I'm going to be like, no, hon, you're using this now. This is just phenomenal. Karen, tell us all the ways we can learn more about you and your fantastic books. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to speak with you anytime. Do you have a website, Karen, you'd like to share? Uh, yes, KarenAndAndrew.com. And we're on Twitter at Karen and Andrew and Facebook at Karen and Andrew and Instagram at The Flavor Bible. Fantastic. I want to thank everyone for listening. This has been so much fun. I really highly encourage everyone get kitchen creativity. Go get in your kitchen. Make some fantastic, delicious and healthy food. You can find everything you like at It's Your Health at LisaDavis.com. Talk healthy today. Uh, talk fitness today. Just check us out and stay well.